on Baytime. BFF.FM. Do I have your attention? 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 Is you taking notes? Three, two, one. We about to go off, off, off. When the speakers go blow, blow, blow. Everybody turn up, up, up. It's about to go down, down, down. Make the whole room spin, spin, spin. Turn the bass up loud, loud, loud. We about to go in. In, in, and we can't stop now, now, now. Fuck it up, dance. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't dance. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't dance. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't Do I have your attention? Fuck it up, dance. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't dance. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't dance. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't Do I have your attention? I was chilling in the club, looking cute all by myself. I saw my ex looking a mess and pressed up on somebody else. So I strutted up to the dance floor and I took off my earrings. I did a To a split and showed him what he was missing. Like, do I have your attention? 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 Don't stop, 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 don't Do I have your attention? I was treading in the gym, looking like a F and 10. When I saw my ex again, his new bay was a seven. So I twirled up to those weights, put these cakes in his face. I did a squat, my butt said bam, and his new man said, girl, goddamn. This shit jelly, it ain't jam. They say thick, I say yes, ma'am. Then I serve him a shablam. Wear my phone, get my cam. Post his body on the gram like that's how bad a bitch I am now. Do I have your attention? 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 This is a fuck boy PSA. Talk to the left hand, talk to the left hand, cause you ain't right. Which one of you motherfuckers I'ma fuck tonight? You staring, you staring, my booty know you see him. And tell your new boyfriend to stay out of my DMs. You heard me, stay out of my DMs. You so nasty, stay out of my DMs. Stay out of my DMs, my DMs, my DMs. Live from San Francisco's iconic ferry building, you're on Baytime on BFF.FM. It's Christopher Beale. Seated across from me is someone that's going to do big things for San Francisco. Getting to know Eric Curry in just a few minutes.
If 
It's Monday, and that's not normally people's favorite day of the week. It's really not, but it is mine because I'm on Baytime, BFF.FM. It's Christopher Beale live from San Francisco's iconic ferry building, and I'm really excited. Um, We were off for a couple of weeks. I did some traveling, and now I'm back live at the ferry building. And sitting across from me is someone I met very recently. Uh, Shout out to Juicy for the introduction. Um, I'm sitting across from Eric Curry, and if that name doesn't ring a bell to you, it will by the end of this show for sure. Eric, welcome to On Baytime. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. <laughs> so excited to be here. You look excited. You've, you've been kind of like doing the like like modeling with the headphones and stuff. It's it's cute. It's fun. <laughs> You're in a good mood today. I'm it's hard, so it's hard not to be when in the sunlight, but exactly. It's, it's pretty. I've been holed up in my office. So I'm sitting in the beautiful San Francisco sunshine. Well, let's talk about why you're here. Let's start there, and then I want to talk about why you're in San Francisco. But um, who who are you? What are you doing in an office all day? What is what is what is your thing right now? Who Spring it on I? us. Okay. What, are, what are you running for? I am running for Congress right here in California's 12th congressional district. Yes, I am. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's an honor to just be nominated, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's a start, right? It's cool. Or to It's file, cool to be able right? to say that. It's cool to be able to say that. Yes, you're running for the seat that's currently occupied uh, by Nancy Pelosi. And uh, we will talk more about the, the politics and stuff later. But I want to talk about who you are as a human being. Um, so uh, talk to me about your upbringing. What brought you to San Francisco? Who are you as a human? Yeah. Who's Eric Curry? Who is Eric Curry? Okay, um, what brought me to San Francisco? Um, my parents did. I've, I've been, like, I've, I You're like, have, I was born in a hospital I was born many years ago. Good old St. Luke's Hospital, um, 28 years ago, in a couple weeks. Exactly. Happy almost birthday. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> so you're a San Francisco baby, like you're, you're born and raised in-, in Born and raised, born area. and raised. Yeah, um, yeah. Born at St. Luke's Hospital on Cesar Chavez and Valencia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no longer called St. Luke's Hospital, but uh, we'll always know it as St. Luke's Hospital. What's it called now? Oh, Sutter. It's like oh, some Sutter, subsidiary of Sutter it's Health. It's like a corporate hospital. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of deal. Kind of deal. What were you? Uh, what were you super interested in as a kid? Like who was who was little San Francisco Eric Curry? I have always been fascinated by the animal kingdom my entire life since I was a little boy. Like the Disney park or like actual like animals? <laughs> Sorry. Dude, um, I'm a Disney well, guy. Forgive me. It's funny that you mentioned that. Growing <laughs> up, I was not really allowed to watch television or play video games. So I had to make my own fun. And mm-hmm. I usually found that with real live animals. Um, even though I wasn't allowed to play with too many electronics, my dad restricted that um thanks dad <laughs> yeah no well, like in hindsight yeah thing, i can't stand can your dad tel- can your dad take my phone away please <laughs> <laughs> i can't stand television to this day which is why i'm on the radio there we go right? i'm so glad i didn't ask you to be on a tv show it would not have gone as well <laughs> um, but you were super into animals and you you found uh, you, you found a kind of a menagerie of animals in your childhood like what, what kind of animals did you interact with growing up i did i did um I, growing up, we had birds um, before I was born. So I grew up with my first two parakeets, Gloria and Victor. Um, And then when I was nine, I found a cat in the middle of the street. And before that point, 
my dad had said no big animals no dogs or cats no I mammals have <laughs> birds hamsters right. mice fish um but finding tiny when i was nine years old that really changed my life um i was out on a saturday morning walking with my dad we were going to get him a haircut before our church's picnic on mission street in the excelsior and we saw what at first i thought was a dead cat and my dad thought it was a fur coat and <laughs> it's very, very opposite interpretations of the situation very opposite and um my dad actually remembers i don't remember this but i will happily take his word for it he says he, he thought like i said that it, it was a fur coat and he goes if it is a cat i'll let you keep it and i don't remember him saying that part but i will happily hold him to it because it turned off that it turned out that um the cat that i thought was dead actually raised his little head up and looked up at us as though it was like just chilling in the middle of the street um hanging out and my dad so tiny wasn't injured or anything just no just just kitty in the street just kitty in the street um and my dad like darted into the street to go pick it up pick tiny up he handed me tiny i looked into tiny's face and my world was instantly changed oh that's such a cool story i love that and you live in the right city because san francisco has so many cool animals all over the place i'm discovering that since i moved here like we literally have like seals and parrots and just all kinds of weird magical creatures here in san francisco it's cool it is named after um the patron saint of animals so there you go so so maybe maybe the magic is real what do you love about san francisco as a grown-up and who are you now as a grown-up you've come a long way from the kid playing with kittes in the street um who are you today i have i have but i think that um i think that that kid still comes out a lot and that's one of the reasons why i love san francisco so much uh something else that i was really obsessed with growing up was um starting businesses and making my own money i was the oldest of four or i, I am the oldest of four and my parents um, couldn't afford to pay us an allowance growing up, and so that really motivated me to seek ways to make my own money. And I started out um, tearing up all the strawberry plants in my backyard and selling them door to door. I have, grow- before I was 18, I was able to get a job. I like collected cans. Um, <laughs> You're industrious at picnics. Oh yeah, and I think that San Francisco is again a very unique city in the in the um, understanding that you can you can kind of do things like that because you don't need a car to get around. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn how to drive until my sophomore year of college. Um, it's so growing up at least it was extremely diverse. Um, you can walk places and hear tons of different languages see a rainbow of different skin tones people from all different walks of life and um like i said it's not it's not a very big city so you can get a really good sense and a really good understanding of the city 
Just on a single walk. Just on a yeah. single walk. It's crazy. And then you'll take that same walk. Then, you know, the next day I'll be like, oh, I didn't learn anything. Like, I'm, I, I didn't really see anything because it's all brand new. Totally. <laughs> yeah. That, that's my interpretation, too. Well, you're, you're running to represent um, a big chunk of San Francisco, and we'll talk more about that. Eric Curry is my guest. We're live at the Ferry Building in San Francisco. You are on Baytime. So gay for San Francisco on Baytime.
gay for San Francisco? On BFF.FM. Vin Smith, burn me. You're on Baytime on BFF.FM. I'm Christopher Beale, seated across. He's uh, he's outside, so safe social distancing, probably exactly six feet away, give or take. Um, sitting quite literally in the ferry plaza is Eric Curry. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Getting a little closer to that mic. <laughs> 
I want people How's to be that? able to hear you. How's you, that? You have a good like radio voice. I want people to be able to hear you. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, about about growing up in San Francisco, and I was able to kind of prompt you through that because when you and I met uh, last week, you gave me a book that you you published um, a couple of years back. How many years ago was this? Um, that was actually published last year. Last year, okay. So it's it's pretty recent. And it, it, admittedly, you're the first person I've ever interviewed that was like, here's a literal book that has everything you could ever want to know about me from birth to today, which has been very helpful because it's helped me come up with things to talk about. You love animals, but you are especially, in just my interactions with you, you are especially passionate about this city and um, more recently about the politics of this city and how you can give back and how you can help. And there was a series of events that led to you sitting here as a, a political candidate because that certainly wasn't your initial plan um so how did you get here how did you go from the kid playing with kitties and dreaming about helping animals and to running for a house seat yeah you know i never ever ever in my life imagined i'd be running for congress um was there any one event no i've always always been i've, I've always been a member a proud social justice warrior you know proud uh leader in the fight for social justice whether it was um, protesting the school budget cuts in high school um, the Occupy movement in college and later on um, you know the fight for fight for racial justice um, with George Floyd yeah I imagined that I would I always thought I always knew that I was going to start a business and I just thought that I would you know mind my own business <laughs> well done well done <laughs> um, and kind of maybe take I don't know maybe a philanthropic role just kind of you know happy healthy and be able to donate money towards the cause and like I said, I'm not sure if there was any one exact moment, but I think that I think that 2020 really solidified me, really like kind of set me over the mark. I, I would say that maybe before 2020, I've just kind of always been riding that fence. But 2020 and was what kind of made you like fortified you into 2020. Getting 2020 was just one of those years where there were just so many defining moments that I can't name one but it was just watching we well, did you named George Floyd and I think that was a that George, was a huge defining moment yeah George Floyd for sure um seeing how much power one individual man has in what we call a democracy and how one man in Kentucky has the power to ruin lives across the nation um here in my own city I just people move here from across the country with their fancy degrees and their fancy ambitions and they come to San Francisco knowing that it's a strong democratic stronghold and rather than using that as a launch pad into being able to better lives and being able to exact change I see many politicians just taking uh, political contribu or contributions from big business and uh other packs and other people that don't really care about the lives of everyday people and using it to further their own careers and their own aspirations and their own political ambitions so 
What does I, that what does that do to you as someone that has a like a true romantic love with this city? Like what is that what does that do to you to see it being exploited that way? I mean it's in, it's infuriating. I grew up in a city that I mean when I was growing up, we had at least 11% black people. Now, having returned, I think it's barely 4% if that. Mm. And it's that I think that's just absolutely despicable for a group of people that have contributed so greatly to the economic growth of San Francisco. Um, we've sold out to big tech and real estate developers, and I don't trust many of the politicians that have arrived on the scene with my city. Mm. I have, I've seen what they've done. I've seen the policies that have been enacted mostly in the past 10 years. And I realized that it's a combination of, well, one, nobody's, nobody's stopping these people. Um, I think that San Francisco is one of those cities where people are just so busy surviving. People are so busy um, with their own money, their own families, creating their own little empires that if it's not affecting them directly, it's like out of sight, out of mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this and, the city, it's really easy to do that. And we have such a we have such a huge um, transport community or what's what's the term I'm thinking of? Transplant community right. that there are there aren't very many people here that knew the old San Francisco, that grew up in the old San Francisco, that care enough about the traditions and the way the customs of the city that care enough to uh, take us back there or care enough to preserve that. Well, you do. I sure do. <laughs> and that's why I'm running for Congress. One of the reasons I'm excited that you're running for Congress, other than you being a nice guy and agreeing to come on the radio show, and that's fun, um, is is that you're gay and we need more gay representation. Um, and so I want to talk more about that coming up. I want to talk about um, your coming out story and uh, and how this applies to your politics. And um, that'll be coming up in just a little bit on Bay Time. Live from San Francisco's iconic ferry building with Lil Nas X. I caught it bad just today. You hit me with a call to your place Ain't been out in a while anyway Was hoping I could catch you throwing smiles in my face Romantic talking, you don't even have to try You're cute enough to fuck with me tonight Looking at the table, all I see is bleeding white Baby, you living a life, but nigga, you ain't living right Cocaine and drinking with your friends You live in the dark, boy, I cannot pretend I'm not faced, only you to sin If you've been in your garden, you know that you can Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me in the morning, I'll be on the way Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me out by your name, I'll be on the way Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Every time that I speak A diamond and a nine It was mine every week What a time and incline God was shining on me Now I can't leave And now I'm making hella illegal Never want the niggas that's in my league I wanna fuck the ones I envy I envy Cocaine and drinking with your friends You live in the dark, boy, I cannot pretend I'm not faced, only you're the sin If you've been in your garden 
you can Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me in the morning, I'll be on the way Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me out by your name, I'll be on the way like
from San Francisco's iconic ferry building. You're on Baytime. I'm Christopher Beale. Uh, seated right across from me is is Eric Curry. Hi, Eric. Hello. I was, I'm going to put some music under us here in just a second, but um, I needed a dramatic pause because I screwed something up. Um, so what I want to talk about now is because this is, I call this show my, my love letter to LGBTQIA San Francisco. It's independent queer artists. And as I jokingly say behind the scenes, and I think I said this to you the first time we met, um, I also like to talk to queers of note. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> what it's fun. I want to be a queer of note. It's a good so flat queer of note. So um, seated across from me is a queer of note. But um, your your coming out story, like everyone's coming out story, is unique. And I believe that coming out stories can really help people. So would you mind sharing your coming out story with us, or what what of it you would like to share with us? Absolutely. Um, where do I begin? Like you did earlier. So I was born. No, (laughs) I was, I was one of those kids who actually didn't know he was queer until he was fifteen, but everybody else knew. Hmm. So, and this goes back to my my love of animals, my relationship with animals is that I was bullied a lot in elementary school, middle school, um. And I couldn't get over the fact that, like, everybody was accusing me of being gay. And my 
my name used to be Abraham. It's not my middle name. We'll get to, we'll get to that another time. <laughs> we will now. <laughs> no, did. But I used to be called Gabraham, and in high school, it was there were three Erics. There was White Eric, Black Eric, and Gay Eric. Mm. And then when I was 15, and I realized that I was in fact attracted to men, I was like, oh wow, oh blank. Um, they're all they're right. So it's like that almost made me further deep back into my closet but the animals never asked me if i was gay i could always be assured that you know that they wouldn't bother me about that what do you think it is real quick to pause the story for a second what do you think it is about that because i I experienced that same thing that feeling of anger that i felt like people that hated me knew me better than i knew myself for a while and then when i realized i was gay i was like holy crap they knew and uh, there was a, there's anger that where do you think that comes from what do you think that is that we go through there oh well, i know for me it was years and years of growing up in a christian church being told mm-hmm. that it's like a sickness like cancer being told that you know you can kill lie cheat steal have a kid out of wedlock but don't you dare God be gay be gay yeah yeah so you think it's just that fear that that absolute terror this is not something that is possible because this is this is we were raised to think this was evil yeah No, I remember, you know, like I said, growing up, you know, super conservative and I'm a very passionate person. So Mm -hmm. back then I was very passionate about being conservative. And I'll never forget. My mom asked me one time she was driving me back from school, my freshman year of high school. And she asked me, she's like, so, you know, are you? And I very emphatically said, hell no. And we weren't allowed to cuss, but I knew that that was the right answer. And I knew that she would appreciate me. I would punctuate your, your point. Yeah. Cause heaven forbid her oldest son be gay. Um, you just used heaven and hell there. That was really good. It was beautiful <laughs> oh, prose. It was wonderful prose. Congratulations on, <laughs> um, so, but, but you, you, so you have this realization, okay, I've been bullied, but they're right. I'm gay. So what do you do with that information? 15-year-old Eric. 15-year-old Eric. Well, 15-year-old Eric stuffed those feelings down, and that just fueled my desire to do something with my life and to find something to distract myself with. So at that point, so at at that moment, it was, you know, study harder, because if I study harder, then I can't think about, you know, the things that, you know, all 14 and 15 and (laughs) 16-year-olds are thinking about nonstop. Right. Um... And, you know, my my efforts paid off. I got into college. I went off to college. And I thought that I had done a really good job of making those feelings go away. I thought, I was like, I did it, you know. Except, you know, you got off to college. See, I hear college is really good for that. Those feelings come back, right. And, you you know, you want to experiment a little bit. And then then I was actually in a relationship, a three-year relationship with a girl. I've, um, up until this point... I've only dated women. Mm-hmm. And after coming out of that three-year relationship, um, I think that was when I first realized that, like, well, I never want to do live a lie anymore. I don't want to. And sure, surely not for, like, three years. And I almost... Yeah. I almost feel like those three years at such, a piv- at such a pivotal moment in my life, like, it stopped me from making LGBTQ friends, from mm-hmm. exploring the, that community or... Joining that community, exploring that part of myself, and I've always, you know, I've always been a very authentic, you know, true to myself person. So that was then when I realized I was like, okay, this is something that 
I have to come out with. It's almost like you have to, to work. You have to act on that knowledge now. I can't keep yeah. this to myself. And yeah. after a while, it became more of, um, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for all the kids that have killed themselves, who have had thoughts that, like I've had, who have acted on those thoughts. I'm doing this for the next generation. I'm doing this for so that hopefully one day we can live in a world where being gay is just as normalized as having blonde hair or being a Giants fan. Because at the end of the day, there are so many worse things you can be than attracted to the same sex. Mm-hmm. You, you like honestly and the it, it, i think our society weaponizes sex i don't understand it i was having this conversation with someone the other day i'm like sex is an act of love right um i, I don't i don't i just do not understand demonizing it in, but, an, in any way shape or form but also yeah. on that same note something i don't appreciate is how much homosexual love is sexualized mm-hmm. it's like just way over sexualized you know and i i think that's very inappropriate too and then it leads into accusations of lgbtq people being you know pedophiles which i think is absolutely disgusting and if people um do you think it's our community doing that or do you think it's projected on us to a degree i think it's projected on us i grew up in a in a world where those thoughts were perpetuated with a with you know family members who blasted rush limbaugh and you know all the all his stupidity i've i've witnessed you know my family members i'm trying so hard not to name people in in particular you know arguing with my science teachers about Mm. aids symptoms and things like that because the the church and the religious right has this mentality so ingrained in people where they're really they're unified in their hatred and they're voting against their own interests not to yeah. bring it back to politics <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're gonna get there eventually yeah. <laughs> for sure that's why you're here so uh, so what age do you do you officially own it and and let your queer flag fly when does this happen like what how old are you at this point i was 24 and it was the 10 year anniversary of my abuelita's death my mother's mother and i picked that date because i felt it would soften the blow i think that she always knew and i've always had a very special relationship with her and actually um that book you're holding in your hands the first version was um published on i released it on that day so it's like wanted to do that what is it like 13 13 years ago now yeah um yeah we're gonna get to this book because it's quite good but so that that was the first version it was very rushed um i was very angry so i i but that was your attempt to come out was that book was that first book that was yeah Yeah. exactly and 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 a facebook post what i want to get to because so you came out and how well how did your family receive it at first i mean what was the what was the the knee jerk from everybody i'm always curious i was very surprised and very um comforted to find that most that everyone in my community was very supportive oh good if there were people that did not you know that disagreed with me or that you know, they didn't voice those concerns they, they didn't, know better they didn't voice their <laughs> hatred or their yeah because i think that was the main the main message that i wanted to get across to my family and that was part of writing the book is that just because there's this one part of me that i almost I also think that you guys have known deep down a lot, you know, it's not a secret, even though I've been denying it and I wasn't true to myself. Again, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that big of a surprise, but I'm still the same person that I have always been. 
this one thing about me doesn't change everything. Right. And I think that was another reason why it took me so long to come out is that I'm Eric Curry. I'm Eric Curry, the animal lover, Eric Curry, the business owner, Eric Curry, the, the guy who loves his family, Eric Curry, the guy who loves his hometown. You know, I'm not Eric Curry, the gay guy, but yes, I am Eric Curry, the gay yeah, guy. That's one of the things, <laughs> one of the many. And it's funny that you mentioned your, of course, you're good at this. Of course, you mentioned your book. No, um, but it's called A Real San Francisco Story with Pets by Eric Curry. And I, I actually read this. And the cool thing about this is that you, you broke this down. You literally broke your personality down into six chapters. Um, and we've covered several of them. Um, we've covered pets. We didn't get onto chemistry. So maybe we can get onto chemistry in a little bit. We've talked about pride. I want to talk about chapter four coming up in a little bit. I want to talk about a Latino or white. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's definitely that, talk about that. That chapter, I think, uh, gets a lot to the Por heart supuesto. of who you are. Por supuesto, amigo. What does that mean? Teach so, me. Of course. <laughs> All right. More with Eric Curry live on Baytime on BFF.FM from San Francisco's Ferry Building. This is Shay Diamond. Sorry if you go Hold me farther if it's 
a ghost, I'm a cold-blooded killer, but I wouldn't hurt you. Your skin closes in, I surrender, will you be my last one? Into the phones, you'll never know how far the cycle goes And even though you're made of gold, I'd rather sleep
Live from San Francisco's iconic ferry building, you're on Baytime on BFF.FM Community Radio for San Francisco. BFF.FM is a community radio station. That means that um, the support for everything from the studio, the mixers, the speakers, the headphones, to the little... Um, Eric, you probably noticed we have the little fluffy things on the mics, little social distancy like kind of like mic gloves they're mic mic gloves mic i was gonna say mic condoms and that's kind of what they are but um yeah anyways um, but all this stuff uh, costs money it does cost a lot of money but it does cost money and so we could really use your help so click that donate button um at bff.fm and support community radio for san francisco in shows like on baytime which is my love letter to san francisco's lgbtqia community i'm catching up a lot of stuff in like 30 seconds here eric uh, and eric curry Go is sitting it. across from me eric curry is uh running for congress running for the 12th Congressional District seat that's currently occupied by Nancy Pelosi. We will talk politics in just a little bit, but we've been kind of talking through the various identities, the various faces, if you will, of Eric Curry. Um, and through your book, I structured this uh, this interview, and we're at a chapter now called Latino or White, and it's a really important part of your book um, that I, I thought we could just start with you reading the opening of that chapter. Do you mind doing that? Oh, totally. Latino or white? My mother was born in El Salvador and moved to San Francisco when she was 18. My father is from Richmond, California, and he met my mother at a church in Oakland. Growing up as a mixed kid in the Bay Area was by no means uncommon. In school, my classmates were Asian, Latino, Black, and every ethnicity in between. Our church was also very diverse. Back in those days, the mission was a predominantly Latino neighborhood with lots of families. I was raised speaking Spanish at home. You'd think it was my mom who taught me, but it was actually my dad who made sure we grew up bilingual. We weren't allowed to speak English at home, and when we did, my parents pretended that they couldn't understand us. I never developed a particular sense of pride, or shame for that matter, regarding my ethnic makeup. But that all changed once I made a concerted effort to learn about those who came before me. I'm my ancestors' wildest dreams. And that's an excerpt uh, from your book. What's the, what's the book called there? Plug your book. A Real San Francisco Story with Pets. And that's, uh, that's by you. And it came out last year, right? Yeah, so. Yep, July 2020. It's really good, by the way. Um, I, I, I've been joking with you before this that like I've never had an interview where someone's literally handed me everything I would ever need to know <laughs> to prepare an interview. So thank you for that. But it is, it is a wonderful book, and I really did enjoy um, I'm not just saying that. I've said that to you off the air. It's, it's wonderful, and it's a really good book. So thank you for putting so much of your heart into that. But talk about this side of your identity, because it, it's very important to you. You have so many that you could pick one. You know what I mean? You have so much going on in your personality, but that's not who you are because these are all, you are uh, the sum of all of your parts. So talk to me about Latino or white and why, uh, why this, this part of your life, this chapter of your life is so important. Well, like you mentioned earlier, um, a real San Francisco story with pets is six of my identities. Are there more? Is there there like a a part two coming? (laughs) How crazy is this guy? A real San Francisco story now with more personalities. (laughs) Um, I mean, I mentioned that, or I I bring that up because two of them, um, being mixed race, being Latino, and being queer, are unfortunately ones that I have not always been very proud of. Mm. That... um, yeah, I have not always been, you know, shouting them from the rooftops. And I've come to a place in my life where I'm so unashamedly proud of every facet of my identity that 
you know, I wrote a book about it. I'm talking about it on the radio. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> here you are, right? Yeah. Um, but, no, um, I feel, as, as a mixed-race kid, I felt like all I wanted growing up was to be able to fit in one box. Mm. Was to be able to... You know, when you're mixed, I feel you could... People think, well, you can exist in both worlds. But the thing is... Well, no, I think... I, well, in my experience, what really ends up happening is you don't exist in either one. Yeah. Um, and... It's a gift and a curse, but can be a curse in really important right, ways. Yeah. Right. And growing up, like, in high school, I was never Latino enough for the Latinos, even though not all of them spoke Spanish. Mm. And I did. And then when I got to college... I was too Latino for the white people. You know, I wasn't white enough for the white kids. Where'd and, you go to college? Um, I went to UCLA and UC Santa Barbara. And growing up in San Francisco, or at my high school was like, you know, 80 to 90% Asian. And my neighborhood was like very, was like about half Asian and half Hispanic, predominantly Latino. So growing going away to college, that was all of a sudden you know, 40% white. Yeah. I mean, with, with, to be honest, I've never been around that many white people in my entire life. And I saw firsthand, I think that was the first time ever that I noticed the advantages and privileges that came with being white without, you know, without sweetening it, with just saying it, yeah, telling you, you it how it is. You tell a story in your book about just catching people blatantly cheating and, and, and people looking, the professors and, and school leadership looking the other way. Like, you've personally witnessed some some real examples of, of white privilege yeah. rearing its ugly head. Yeah. And there's a reason why, you know, damn near, pardon me, every president... But you can say whatever you okay. want on the internet. <laughs> there's a reason why, you know, every president has been in a fraternity, and I'll actually, I prefer the term white booster society, mm. because I like to be more accurate. Yeah. That's what they are. And, um... So you were not in a fraternity. I was for two weeks. I was for two weeks. Um... That that's all the that's all the answer I yeah. need. Yeah, that says I'm a lot. Not a, I mean, I'm a not lot. a frat. Yeah. I am not a frat guy, and I did not identify with those people. I mean, I mean, literally, I couldn't. Yeah. Um, first person in my family to go to college, you know, had to work three jobs to barely keep myself going, and you dropped out of college. I did the, the first time around. I did. I and, did. Um, and and that had a lot to do with what you just mentioned of uh, of just witnessing um, the all the advantages that your white classmates had and uh, that that were handed to them that they didn't earn they were handed to them. So what did you do? What did you do after that? And like like what did you do? What do you do there? Um, well, in retrospect, I mean, I know because I've read right, the book, right. but you know, I'm. <laughs> um, in retrospect, it would I wouldn't have been so abrupt. I would have thought that decision through a little more and at least had something prepared but I, w I was so yeah you're right I was so fed up with um, you know working three jobs to just you know barely get ahead and then seeing institutions where people were able to get together and like share exams or get mm -hmm. together and you know not have to work and the only thing that they have to worry about is their grades and like you know wouldn't that be nice so combination of um what I really felt was a hopeless situation. Like I wasn't going to all of a sudden um, have large amounts of money where I wouldn't, where I could, didn't have to worry about you know paying my rent or purchasing textbooks. So I didn't have to pick one or the other. Where I didn't have to worry about um, 
you know, buying groceries and, and that kind of thing. And um, it was a combination of that and then not being heard because, like you mentioned, I reported. I, I reported the cheating cases. I got. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is it were you just ignored? Like they just was just pretty much. literally swept under the rug. At first, when I first reported the cheating cases, the administration was very happy that somebody came forward. My department, the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, and the uh, disciplinary side, so like the dean, they were both very excited and encouraged me. And so I went and got testimony from some of my other classmates. I convinced them to write something to put together a statement. Um, I went back to one of my TAs. Like, you know, I did all the legwork because I thought that... That they were actually going to do something. And that I had a pretty decent case, you know? Um, And I met with the dean a few times. And then I think what happened was, like, we went on break. Maybe it was, like, we were out for a week. And then I just remember getting back um, and going back to check in on the cases and I had been, I was informed that they were all dropped. Mm. And so this is, you know, activist, spur of the moment, maybe should have taken a time, second to think about things, Eric. I, I dropped out the same day. Like I was, so, I was furious. I felt like this was my last ditch. This was, you know, the straw that really broke the camel's back because it wasn't, it wasn't like UCLA was a wonderful environment at all. It was mm. very toxic, insanely competitive filled with cheaters so it wasn't for me it wasn't like it wasn't a level playing field no and it wasn't like i was necessarily leaving this wonderful opportunity (laughs) that many people thought that it was you were like this sucks and it's not fair okay bye goodbye boy bye yeah what did you do next and and how um well i I also i want to stay definitely on topic like that that had a lot to do with um with white privilege frankly as yeah. as your friendly neighborhood yeah. white radio host i will say that um like what what do you do um in, besides quitting what do you do next uh to combat that because you're not the kind of person to walk away like completely without without doing something and, and here you are running for office so like that definitely inspired something in you i think is what i want to say but like it didn't but what did it inspire it inspired in you? a couple of things um so Mind you, I, I was still not out at this point. I was still with my girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah, we were still together. So um, the very first thing that I did after I dropped out of college was I, I started thinking to myself, like, well, I've literally spent so much of my life, you know, busting my butt off to get to this moment, you know, everything that I've worked so hard for to get to college and I find out that it's a lie. Like it's, it's not everything that it's propped up to be. I was totally sold on this dream that we all have to go off to college. And I, I thought to myself, well, what else, what else have I been told that is false? Yeah. You know? So at that, at that point I was like, I am going to pick the most complex topic that I can think of the one that I just cannot get my wrap my mind around and I'm going to research it and at that and at that time that was a top the uh, concept of being transgender Mm. growing up in you know a very conservative household that was something that I was just I was like okay like maybe I can get to the point where I can accept gay people but it's like I can't I just I that one that's just too much for me to wrap Mm. my mind around and I started to do my research um, as as you've, you've known about me just from having read my book, I, I, 
I can't really half-ass anything. So right. anything that I decide to set my mind to, I go all in. Like get so. a PhD in it. <laughs> I, I did. I started watching documentaries. I started, you know, re- hearing podcasts. I started reading articles. And really, because I come from a science background, I wanted to really get a lot of the scientific um, analysis behind the concept of being transgender. And, and what I came to realize is that who who is anybody to tell somebody you know what you come to realize is that the, your the entire mission is wrong right and it's like who who are you to tell someone that they don't feel the how they feel i should say yeah. in their body and also being being born in the right body and feeling like you're in the right body is such a huge privilege yeah. i just i could not imagine what it must be like to feel like you're in the wrong body number one i could never imagine what it must be like and number two transgender individuals have astronomically high suicide rates and astronomically high murder rates it's yeah it's astronomically high yeah um but the research has shown that when we let these people be and we get them the help that they want, especially when it's done at a young age, which again, that's not always possible when people mm-hmm. grow up in super conservative, you know, environments, which to an extent, these are, um, you know, these, these thought processes are, are being perpetuated by generations, you yeah. know, unfortunately. So it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint any one person or any one generation. Because, you know, this foolishness and this ignorance, I should say, has been perpetuated for so long through, yeah. so, through so many different institutions. But, um, and that's very cyclical in our society, to be clear. Like, it's, I mean, what, what we're going through right now is unique, but um, it's not that unique. Like, right. the generations before us have gone through similar struggles, and through these struggles, we get progress. But um, this is a really important time. It's an important time for... Um, there's a lot of rhetoric around you know the, the the gay community kind of giving up on its activism like oh we got we got our stuff we're cool now and uh i don't think that's healthy at all i don't think that's good for us to do i think we need to stand up for our trans brothers and sisters and and for uh the, for the asian community and the pacific islander community it's uh, the, that spirit of activism has oh, to sh- has to continue here in san francisco I, I could not agree more and the the like come on let's 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 say it the ra- the gay community are some of the most racist bunch out there mm-hmm. yeah. very very white is right yeah. you know like that's the image that we perpetuate and if you don't believe me just scroll some grinder profiles right and get everything you need to know at, at least i want to say i mean i haven't been on in a minute but <laughs> like, on, a, like I mean, a literal on, minute like <laughs> a literal minute right right but at least you know i have i haven't seen so much of people just being so blatant with their sexual preferences right that's kind of toned down a little bit i think they removed bit. it as a filter which I, is nice i yeah, think so yeah, that's good but to your point <laughs> Personally, I think that the gay community took a little bit, wait a little bit too long to get behind the Black Lives Matter movement. Agreed. And I think we had this conversation earlier and I was like, these are the same people who are going to be shouting from the rooftops in just one month, you know, mm-hmm. just to, actually just a matter of a week because George Floyd died at the end of May, mm-hmm. you know, come Pride Month. These are the same people that are going to be dancing in the streets saying, oh, gay rights, gay rights, gay rights, because my white ass is so, you know, discriminated against. Right. But, but have kept silent mm-hmm. about 
Black Lives Matter. And like you said, this move, we owe this entire movement back to the trans women of color at yes. Stonewall. Yep. Okay, that's who we owe that's this movement to. Yeah. Not the white gays. Let's play, you that's know? True. Yeah. I love your passion, Eric. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 this is the Eric Curry <laughs> I wanted you to meet on Baytime, and we found him in there. So while you're fired up, um, I'm gonna play some more music. Okay. Just a little bit. We're I gonna might listen have to, to pee again. That's fine. You can pee. <laughs> Check grinder. Um, and then, no, and then um, I'm gonna play some New Year's and Years, and then I want to get down to the nitty gritty in the last half hour of the show. I want to talk about uh, what we're getting if we cast our vote for Eric Curry here in San Francisco. Okay? Let's do it. All right. So that's coming up. Uh, give us like ten minutes. You're on bay time. This is Years and Years on BFF.fm.
more on Baytime. BFF.FM Nobody knows what it means You just go when you hope that you grow That's life My whole life philosophy Oh, it changes with the tide I was like 16 Smoking a cigarette for the first time Trying so hard to impress some guy Some girl, I forget 29, I never thought I'd be 29, the years just follow me Some nights I still don't understand it Since I was young I always tried to cover up Who I was and who frequencies forever.
till the water's cold and I am blue, I see it. I'm killing doubts, so I just open up the door and I ring it out. Don't you? Hopeless, but I've accepted denial. It's fucked up, but you're my motivation. We'll grow up and then you'll see what you're missing. You'll come home and then you'll look at me the way you used to, the way I want you. Whoa. 
Now that we realize what went wrong, can we move on happily? Yeah. Your negativity, my codependency. Now that we realize what went wrong, can we move on happily? Happily, yeah. Refuse to believe that this new guy I found is better than me. Is more than a fling, and the possibility that he's your new everything is haunting my dreams. Why isn't it me? It's fucked up, but you're my motivation. We'll grow up, and then you'll see what you're missing. You'll come home, and then you'll look at me the way you used to, the way I want you. Can we move on happily? Yeah. Your negativity, my codependency. Now that we realize what went wrong, can we move on happily? I've gotta figure out all my shit first, and hopefully you're doing the same. Once we've had our time to recover, I wanna try this with you again. It's fucked up. But you're my motivation. We'll grow up, and then you'll see what you're missing. You'll come home, and then you'll look at me the way you used to, the way I want you. I killed myself for you. You killed yourself for me. Now that we realize what went wrong, can we move on happily? Yeah, your negativity, my codependency. Now that we realize what went wrong. Can we move on happily? I killed myself for you. You killed yourself for me. Now that we realize what went wrong, can we move on happily? Yeah. Your negativity, my codependency. Now that we realize what went wrong, can we move on happily? I think that's how that's pronounced on Baytime, live from San Francisco's iconic Ferry Building. I'm Christopher Beal, seated across from me, running for the 12th Congressional District House seat, currently occupied by uh, one Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you might have heard the name, um, <laughs> and uh, we'll let's talk. We'll talk some about that here, but um, I also just want to get into. The, the politics of the matter because like you could be the nicest person on the planet but if you don't have policy ideas why do we vote for you right so what i want to know is as as a san francisco voter i think i might be in your district too am i in your district you know where i live I yeah your, yeah i'm in your district yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah so so here i am seated across from you a potential voter um an actual voter like why why should i vote for you other than i identify with you on so many levels like like what what are your ideas what do you want to do for this city well let me get back to something i didn't say earlier which you asked like at what point did i know i wanted to run and i didn't really talk about oh yes okay yeah we can backtrack to that if you want no no no. i just brought it up to mention i didn't really expand on why I want to run or sorry did I just say the, that you twice know the, do you know the true no, the true the reality of the when, situation yeah. is that you and I 
we're very talkative and so we've been talking like as soon as the mics turn off we just keep talking and so except when you're peeing um <laughs> but like <laughs> but like um because that'd be weird but like um there's so much to talk about that we legit could have just blown out all the music and talked for two hours so we're not going to get to everything but i think that story is important so let's before we get to your policy let's get to how you decided this specifically the story of how you decided to run to begin with because i think that's a really important part of this yeah well like I said, there wasn't necessarily any one decision, any one moment is a culmination of watching, feeling so helpless mm-hmm. and um, seeing that there's another side that they're going to get their agenda and they know how to do it rank and file and they know how to do it under an orange idiot. And, <laughs> you know, like, the, yeah, look, yeah. look, Republicans, 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 the, the guy that was leading them. He, I honestly do not know how that man sleeps at night. Mm-hmm. But if he were to make thank you for in, not speaking his name right, on my show. Double M and M, double M. Um, Either of them. Thank you for yes. Please, yeah. please use slander to describe them. On you, the show. you know, like if he were to endorse his sleep, the whatever he uses to sleep at night, like that company would make a killing. <laughs> you know, honestly. But it's probably something he works really hard to keep illegal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, Helps me a lot. Go on. After a while, I think, well, you come to this realization, this blatant, very blatant realization, it starts to say, it starts to hit home. And that's that the people that are making decisions are not going to be around in 20 years, 15, 20 years right. to deal with the repercussions of their decisions, Correct. to deal with the, um, you know, with the mess that they've created, you know who will be. You know who you were is just saved be. by the F train. By the way, can we just talk about how great it is that the F train? The F train back? is back. It feels so good. <sighs> Hi, F train. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, um, oh, that was not an F train. Hey, I got a policy idea involving those that I'll tell you off the air. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> the decisions are being made by people who will not have to deal with the consequences of them. So, like it or not. Um, you know the envi- decisions about the environment, decisions about um, racial justice, voting rights, minimum wage. Um, if we want a seat at the table, or if we want any say really in how our lives go, we're going to have to demand a- and fight for a seat at the table and do it now. And do it now. I think we're at a very, very unique moment in history, and we have to capture this moment. I. I think that there was always a little a part of me that that was gonna run for office. Honestly, you know, I thought maybe you know, school board or, or supervisor. Right. Did I ever think Congress? And did I ever think now? No, I thought you know maybe in ten years once I have my life and career together is what I thought. But I I think like again we're at a very very pivotal moment in history, and I have never had so much hope as I do now that we actually can affect positive change and build a country of, by, and for the people, not the corporations. I really do, I truly do believe that. And I believe that my experiences as a gay, mixed race, first person in my family to go to college, small business owner, I could go on with the other, you know, the other book chapters, you know, I think that my experiences uniquely qualify me to represent the people of San Francisco Mm -hmm. in Congress. Do how many, how many people in Congress know what it's like to have student loans? Mm. They're over half of them are millionaires. How many of these people have ever known what it's like to have to take a gig job to make ends meet? You know, 
you know, to have to literally have to drive Uber and Lyft until the wee hours of the morning, biting your fingers to stay awake because we've already had four cups of coffee. Yeah. Like nobody. They don't know that. They don't know that struggle. They don't know what the average American has to, you know, has to deal with and has to how it is to live in this country. So that, well, th- this brings me to an important question then, and this is one that I, I would not be a journalist of any salt if I did not ask this question. Um, right now, the seat you're running for, not exactly sure who you're going to be running against, what political machine you're going to be running against at the end of this, because there's a lot up in the air. Um, how do you overcome? How do we as a community back you? How do you overcome a political machine the size of the Democratic Party, the size of the Republican Party, for that matter, the size of Nancy Pelosi, for that matter, because she will, regardless of what she does, she will be involved to some degree in selecting, whether we like it or not, (laughs) she will be involved to some degree in selecting whoever fills her seat. So um, how do you overcome that as the... The, 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 young the young queer kid from San Francisco kid who has yeah. never who has worked held a gig job and, office yeah. how do you do that yeah. how? so well let me begin by saying I have an incredible amount of respect for the speaker of the house mm-hmm. and there's not a day that goes by that I don't talk to at least one person on the phone usually several no. who ask me different versions of that, that same, same question. exact question and Again, I'm expecting a very well rehearsed answer. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it could be, it could be, you know, that ignorance is very bliss, and that I, I didn't quite realize everything that I've gotten myself into. What I do know is that it, I refuse to sit out in 2022, and the mm-hmm. feeling of um, in life we tend to regret the things we didn't do, not the things we did do. Yeah, that that that's one side of it, um, but. I don't see myself as running against Nancy Pelosi, believe it or not. I see myself... Because you may not be. Okay, and aside from that point... Um, no, I've been very careful with my choice of right. words. You're running to fill her seat. Um, I'm, we don't I'm know running who you'll be to running against. The, I'm yeah. running to represent the people of right. San Francisco yeah, you're and Congress. The people's seat. Every yeah. two years... You know, the Constitution dictates that representatives are chosen. Representatives serve, representatives serve two-year terms. So my job is to make my case for the people of San Francisco and get my message across to as many people as possible. There's a reason why we got in at the time that we did. Mm-hmm. The, you know, we have 14 months until the primary. Yeah. And it's my job to make my case for the people of San Francisco for why I believe that you know that i'm the future of the democratic party that i'm fighting for the heart and soul of the party and that my experiences the experiences that i hope to bring to that i will bring to washington hopefully if i am elected that i will bear those in mind when i make uh legislative decisions when i craft policy um when i gather with my colleagues around a common, when I rally with my colleagues around a common cause, mm-hmm. things that we have, things that my generation has suffered with, like student loan debt, yeah. like Medicare for all. I mean, if this pandemic has not just made one thing so blatantly obvious, universal healthcare. is we need healthcare yeah. because, you know, it's great that you pay for healthcare. It's great that I pay for healthcare, but guess what? If the person sitting next to us on the bus doesn't have healthcare, what good did We're your healthcare sick. do yeah. you if you just got the current, you know? Mm-hmm. The coronavirus. Not not to mention the the data shows that 
at the current trajectory that we're going, we are estimated to pay about twice as much for healthcare God. than we would if we switch to a single payer Medicare for all system. And that's, mm. it just, it makes, it doesn't make just moral sense. It makes economic sense, which just totally destroys the argument that the other side tries to make about, oh, uh, we're, you know, there's just not enough money for this. And well, first of all, there was sure there was more than enough money when you were cutting them billionaires' checks. When right. you were cutting all those yeah. corporate tax rates, there, was, there sure seemed to there's be enough money, money then. For a war. Which, by money. the yeah. way, that's socialism, my friend. Mm-hmm. So, where people want to say, "Oh, socialism, honey," that ship's been that ship's been here. That ship sailed. You know, socialism is alive and well in America. It's just mm-hmm. time for working class people to get it too, not just the, the corporations, because yeah. they get socialism all day long. Yeah. So why can't we get it too? Corporate socialism is a thing. Yeah. I, I really admire your passion. <laughs> it, it's so funny. So I, this is the, the this 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 time is the second time you and I have sat together. This is the first time on the record on the with rec- the mics right. in front of us. And but I said right after I met you the first time that your passion was one of the things that was really interesting to me because you, um, you and I both have minds that are directly connected to our mouths sometimes, <laughs> and um, and I admire that in you though. I admire that you have to stop yourself sometimes because I admire that the thoughts are firing through your brain and that you're not just quoting off of talking points and that you you are being authentic. So um, for those of you that can't see Eric across from me because this is radio, um, I mean, this this is a guy that really cares about San Francisco. Uh, that much I know. I, I'm still learning about your politics and we're all going to learn about your politics over the next 14 months and beyond. But um you know, it means a lot to me that you care about San Francisco because I care a lot about San Francisco. And I am new here, but I'm a high school dropout. I didn't come here with a degree. But <laughs> my San fancy Francisco degree. <laughs> is a city worth fighting for. No, it really it's, is. It's the, and especially I'm, I'm now. Biased. Especially now. And we should be the trendsetters like we have been historically. Mm-hmm. We need to continue in that legacy. Yeah. We're the ones that push the envelope. We lead. Mm-hmm. The rest of the country follows with yeah. so many things, yeah. you know, with civil rights, yeah. with so many... Um, technological breakthroughs with art you know we lead and it's time for us to lead again not be the status quo Mm -hmm. i'm gonna snap for you with that all right um there's a piece from your book there's one more piece from your book that i want to have you read before we get out of there get out of here but first i want to play uh some kim petrus on the show because you know it's just what you do this is malibu live from the ferry building on bff.fm
It's Malibu. You're on Baytime on BFF.FM Community Radio for San Francisco. And uh, honestly, like this, this has not yet happened with a guest, but <laughs> Eric and I have so much still to talk about. We've just like run up against two hours, and we are out of time. And now uh, I looked at I looked at him a second ago, and I said, "Okay, we can either talk for like really quickly and then play another song and go home, or we can um, just talk for the last what four and a half minutes." So we opted to do that, and so. It's good that, that, that we have something to fill that. And that is first, we've been talking about this book the entire time. And I, I want you to, where can people get your book, <laughs> first of all? Yeah, you can get my book on my website, uh, ericabrahamcurry.com. And these are proudly printed and written in San Francisco. So I work with a local printer, a uh, small business here in the city. And it's a fabulous book, again. Uh, it really is. I really enjoyed reading it. So it's called uh, A San Francisco Story with Pets. A Real San Francisco <sighs> Story with Pets. Full disclosure, he's holding it, and you're about to find out why. So uh, here in the last couple of minutes of the show, um, I want to have you read a piece from, uh, I guess, the coming out chapter of this book. Um, uh, this is a piece from, from your poem or your, your song, Pride Song. I'd love to hear this. Yeah, so before I, before I read the, the part that we agreed upon... Um, Really quickly. You're like, I'd actually like to read the entire page before. (laughs) Here we go. Um, No, no, no. Just just really quickly. I, like I mentioned before, I wasn't, I have not always been proud of um, being gay. (laughs) And it's something that I have become so unashamedly proud about. And there was a time um, when I first was experimenting and first, you know, growing into that part of my identity. And... I started exploring that by going to different pride festivals or pride um, gatherings, something that I was not allowed to do growing up, specifically um, forbidden to do. And now I I put such a huge... put such a huge importance on going to pride parades or going it's it's Important. a non-negotiable every year yeah and i wrote this poem out of my this song it's called pride song out of my the euphoria that came after that i felt after one of these pride uh, celebrations and it's a it's a it's multiple pages it's a long song it's beautiful but um we'll, i'm just gonna we'll read, read the, the, the bridge the it, yeah. and the chorus um lgbtqia you're perfect in every single way the battle's won, the war is fought. So let's get one thing straight. I'm not. Tone it, <laughs> tone it down, they say. Hell no, never buy it. Don't you forget that the first pride was a riot. It's pride. It's what I'm feeling inside. Don't gotta ask the reason why. 
I'm feeling myself tonight. Thought that was the end. Lost more than a friend. But nothing stops this feeling. Oh. Whoa, I didn't it's know we were going to get a song. I know, sorry. <laughs> you guys so had to suffer no. with my... <laughs> that was so cute. I always sing it in my head, so it's like, we got to sing it on the radio. I don't know why I didn't assume it. It's called Pride Song. I was like, it must have... I guess it must have had music to it, and I didn't, I didn't even know. That was good. You're a good singer, too. Thank you. Thank you. You're too kind, of, and it's not true, but... Eric Karaoke <laughs> on the show today. It's good. <laughs> you could use that, by the way, next time you're out. Eric Karaoke. Eric Karaoke. <laughs> you're like, it's already copyrighted. <laughs> As uh, we speak. Where can people, again, where can people track down your book? Where can people support your campaign? Um, we have uh, 60 seconds left in the show. Where can people find your stuff? Yes. Um, please check me out. www.ec4sf.com. E-C-F-O-R-S-F.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Eric Curry SF. Um, Instagram at Eric Curry SF. That's all campaign stuff. And uh, my business page is at Eric Curry Co. And my business website is www.ericabrahamcurry.com www.ericcurryspets.com It's the same website. You've got so many. I linked to at least one of those in uh, the description of this show. Eric, thank you for hanging out on Baytime. Thanks for coming down to the thank Ferry Building. Thank you so much and for having me. Importantly, thanks for representing the gay community here in San Francisco, and thanks for loving this crazy place like we do. Until the day I die. Until the day I die.